Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast, where my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts helping support our vision of leaders powered for good. If that's your mission too, I know you'll be inspired by what you hear. I'll be back at the end to share what I've learned. Enjoy this episode of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Dr. Travis Bradbury, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Happy to be here. It's great to have you back here on the Leader Chat Podcast. Uh, Your newest book, Emotional Intelligence Habits, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. What led you to put pen to paper on this book? That's a good question. Um, The last emotional intelligence book that I put out was in 2009. And over the years, I accumulated an abundance of strategies or habits, individual, small micro behaviors that you can use to increase your EQ. And I, one of the things I discovered about the other book being a bestseller is that people really liked the strategies component. How do I go? How do I do this? And I just realized I was sitting on a wealth of information that I needed to put out there and you know give people a chance to to get exposed to it and read it and and i i do love you said the last time you put a book out you put out a book that largely i mean i think about our core audience here at the leader chat um they all have this book i mean this is this is something that has become just must reading for anybody that wants to improve wants to help their organizations improve the people they lead why do you think that that caught fire like it did well, I think there's a couple reasons. You know, one, emotional intelligence is a topic that or a concept that's just really central to how we think and how people operate in the workplace. Um, it's it's just an absolutely essential skill for success. And there's a lot of information on what it is. There's not a lot of information on how to actually improve it. And that's important because your emotional intelligence is a flexible skill. It's something that is malleable and adapts and responds to changes in your behavior. So you can actually increase your EQ. And I think that's something that that people were really hungry for. And that's that's kind of where I fit in. Yeah, I, I love the way you write. I love the stories, the examples. And, and as you said, I love how you mechanize this idea. There's a lot of books out there that in, in a lot of ways you know, talk a good game to say, hey, have you considered being this way or trying this approach or looking at this research and and trying something different? But you, even with this book, you lead off with an opportunity for somebody to to take an assessment and begin to really look at the areas where they maybe have some rough edges and then they can improve. So when somebody comes to you and says, oh, wow, you're into EQ, um, I've heard of that. And and I'm obviously going to pick up your book, but how do you advise somebody to, to start getting that self-awareness to understand that that there's a better life out there. There's a better way to communicate and a better way to, to interact with people. You know, I think it, it's interesting that you mentioned the assessment because I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with that. Um, having that objective understanding of what your strengths and weaknesses are tends to really open people's eyes to where they should spend their time. Um, I think most people that are interested in self-improvement have some sense that perhaps their emotional intelligence isn't, you know, a hundred out of a hundred, 
But um, even people who don't, once they get tested, they tend to get that picture. And that's why, you know, it's so important to include a passcode to go online and, and, and take the EQ test that I authored. You know, it's something that we sell separately for $50. It comes for free with the book, but it's like, how can you go about increasing your EQ until you really know where you're at today? So the way you have this book set out is really, it's it's that kind of that understanding and, and you you call it emotional intelligence at large, and then you do emotional intelligence at work. Obviously, those are two very separate worlds we have operate in. Sometimes they bleed over. But what I like about it is based upon the assessment that you take, people can really take a, a good hard look. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of go through a couple of those and, and hear kind of your your thoughts on how to how to navigate this world. Would that be okay if I kind of walk through some of the, the topic areas that you've you sure, played yeah. out? Excellent. So one of the first ones, and it's not because it is the first one, but I think it's so important for all of us in the world we live in and the very drastically different world than the last time you were on the on the podcast. But your first one about beating stress and staying calm. How can people do that authentically? How can people be that way when it seems that that life is throwing so many, so many more curveballs at you now than it did before? Well, yeah, and that's a good point. And, and that's a tough one because we need stress to perform at optimal levels. You just, you, you don't get out of bed in the morning without some stress. It's the main motivator for our behavior. Uh, the trick is there's a great deal of research that shows that you're only at your most effective when you're able to keep that stress at mo- from not exceeding moderate levels, right? You, you're, you're able to, you don't eliminate it but you keep it from getting uh, magnified and getting too strong. And that's one of the things I talk about in that chapter is just really showing people that model and then explaining, you know, giving them specific habits they can employ when their stress levels get too high that they can use to bring their stress levels down. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things, but it it could be from as varied as, um, uh, making sure you exercise, you know, in those moments when you think you don't really have time to um, saying no, right? Y- yielding that powerful word no when you're overcommitted and you don't really have the room to take on, you know, more that's going to take take your stress through the roof. I'm going to selfishly kind of walk through the ones that really resonated with me, the ones I love and the ones I want to nurture even more. Um, You talk about developing a growth mindset. I have this kind of belief that people largely are, are either scarcity or abundance based upon kind of, you know, that, the, 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 the way that they were kind of presented into this world. So how would you go about having somebody to, to, to be able to develop more of a growth mindset to see, you know, that there's always more pizza out there, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing is understanding that, um, failure isn't fatal, right? The, the, the path to success is paved with failure. There are inevitably going to be setbacks and challenges. And if you can see them as such challenges to be overcome lessons to be learned from, then your mindset tends to be one that is focused on growth, uh, focused on what you can do differently to improve your situation as opposed to feeling stuck and feeling like, oh, I just can't do this, right? That's the opposite of pursuing growth is feeling that you're in a, in a fixed state. How do you go about neutralizing toxic people? Toxic people. Yeah. This is another one that, you know, this is, uh, um, 
a, a lot of the topics in this book are are based on um, loosely based on some some articles I write on LinkedIn. I, I write an article every week, yep. and it's really interesting to see what people respond to. And toxic people is one of the most popular topics that I write about yep. because let's face it, there are some people that you know um, whether they're aware of it or not are incredibly difficult. And we're often stuck with these people. They could be a family member or they could be a key client or they could be a, a coworker, or, you know, you're working together on a sales team or whatever. And people are at a loss. They don't know what to do. And, and, it, and it creates a great deal of stress. So one of the things that I teach in the book is, well, there's two things. One is you need to understand the type of toxic person you're dealing with. You need to understand what their motivations are because it can be, it, it is far less overwhelming when you have some concept of where someone is coming from. Um, so I, I give people those tools. It's something that, you know, for me, having a PhD in clinical psychology, I kind of do that naturally. I can size people up pretty well. So I try to help readers to do the same. And then the second piece is establishing really good boundaries. It's knowing where the limits are, knowing where you can set boundaries and 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 actually have some space between you and this person or you and certain aspects of this person's behavior. And that's the other thing I teach in the chapter is, is how to set good boundaries. I probably should have asked this before we started with the emotional intelligence at large, but is there one of the topic areas in this particular seg- section of the book that has the biggest bang for your buck? If you do X and you focus here, it will resonate more in your life than others in your research? You know... Um, there's a lot of that to do with how people perceive you. And there's a chapter on likability, which is another really popular topic, which, um, I think that it, it resonates with a lot of people because who doesn't want to be likable? Um, but the, the chapter actually focuses on the specific things you can do to sort of magnify your presence with other people. And the research shows that goes a long way because there's so much um, of how we're evaluated really comes from other people. It's sort of what we think doesn't matter as much as what we do. How does someone, because I think this is one that I, 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 I struggle with seeing it sometimes because you, you definitely see when people are inauthentic and sometimes it can really shine through in different settings, but you talk about be utterly authentic. How do you nurture that? Yeah, you know, authenticity is something that it it, it it really comes down to what makes you tick and staying true to that. And I think that the way people become inauthentic or they have that disconnect and they and they have the discomfort that comes from a lack of authenticity is that you're doing what you think you should versus what you really are were put on this earth to do. Um, so that awareness and 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 being able to really understand yourself and stay true to yourself, I think is 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 the key to to authenticity. All right, last one from this segment section, just for me. Um, and we could talk all day about this. I love the, again, I love the stories that you present. I love all the research around it. Um, but controlling your anger. How is that something that that somebody? Because sometimes, if if somebody has that, and it, you almost might might need professional help to to work through that. But how do you uh, how do you do that in a way that uh, can be helpful for you, and obviously for those around you, if if you maybe have more of a hair trigger reaction to things? 
Yeah, the chapter on controlling your anger largely focuses on sort of the, um, I, what I would say is like the holy grail of controlling your anger, and that's understanding the anger funnel. What that is, is anger is a very um, acceptable uh, emotion in our society, even though it's it's not really a core emotion. It's actually a uh, an expression of emotion. So let's say something happens that makes you feel threatened or makes you feel vulnerable or makes you feel insecure. Those are emotions that people have a great deal of difficulty tolerating. So they put them in the anger funnel and it comes out as anger. And now you're mad at someone because of something they did versus really understanding what the situation is and why it makes you feel so vulnerable and threatened. So what I find in helping people to control their anger is once you teach them about the anger funnel and they can see uh, you know, in the moment, in a situation that they just stuffed how they fell into the anger funnel and, and, it, and it results in this explosion of anger, it really tends to change your what you do. It gets you to stop doing that, but you just really have to understand it. And And when you don't, you're just so fixated on what everybody's doing wrong that it just keeps the anger cycle going. So as we kind of talk through these these initial topics, they're they're applicable for everyone. They're applicable in life. It's it's a good roadmap. It, it, you know, focus on these. Focus on where you're not as strong. You'll be a better human. You'll show up better in your relationships and and um and wherever you interact with people. But let's pivot to work because there are things that are very specific to work that could really be career killers. So I'll lead off with the question I should have let off the other one with, which is which ones of these that are focused on emotional intelligence work, which ones are, um, would you rank order to say, if you don't get these um, worked on, you're going to have a very short trajectory in your career. Which ones are the most important to you? Yeah. The chapters that stand out to me would be uh, leadership skills. You know, even if you don't hold a leadership title, being able to manifest as a, as a leader of people, someone that motivates people. Uh, The chapter on productivity is a big one. Um, because your emotional state absolutely impacts your productivity and understanding that and having the tools and the habits in place can really help you to uh, achieve what you want. Um, A couple other big ones I would say are the chapter on persuasion and, you know, being able to persuade people to your way of thinking. You know, that's not just for people who work in, say, sales. It's like we're constantly trying to to persuade people to, uh, you know, our ideas. Um, That and and the chapter on communication, right? And just how you communicate with people in the workplace, that affects so much. It affects how you're seen, how you're evaluated, how you perform. And, um, you know, emotional intelligence and communication go hand in hand, right? When, when, when the emotions run strong and the community, then, and, and things break down, communication is the first thing that suffers. Obviously here at the, at, at Blanchard, you know, we focus a lot on, on the leadership skills, but there's this, this fun exercise we do often in a few of our programs where we do kind of that good boss, bad boss analysis, mm-hmm. like raise, you know, think about the very best boss you've had and, and people are very thoughtful and they write down the traits they have. And then think about your bad bosses and without fail, there's so many more bad bosses in our wake. So one of the the chapters you talk about is surviving a bad boss. There's yeah. very likely that listeners of the podcast have a bad boss right now. What do you advise? Well, it's a bit like the 
chapter on toxic people in the sense that you need to understand what type of bad boss you have and what you can and can't control. So, um, you know, it really focuses on different ways bosses get, um, they succumb to bad behavior and then understanding what you're dealing with and what you can actually do about it, like where you can put up boundaries and where you can't. Um, and then deciding if, if that's, uh, you know, if it makes the situation tolerable or if you need to move on, you know, I mean, that's, that's the other aspect, right. Is, is there's a great deal of research that shows that bad bosses lead to really poor health outcomes. And, you know, if, if, if it's so far gone that your health is suffering, you know, perhaps it's time to seek alternate employment. So many in the workforce now are, uh, are, you know, have taken over the garage. They're in the the home office. They've taken over a, a a bedroom. In other words, they're working remotely. And so, two of the areas, one around productivity and one around motivation. Um, what do you advise for for that? Because I I I have a premise that people sometimes are a little less productive at times when when they're they're looking for the reason to to not step away from their desk and then also looking for that motivation. What are some tips you would give from people in a, in a hybrid environment, working from home so they could be more effective when it's, it is just a different work environment than it was a few years ago. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's getting motivated is really, that chapter is really about sort of, you might say staying motivated. It's really, really being in touch with what makes you tick, what lights a fire for you and trying to lean into those kind of activities and those kind of pursuits um, so that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're living life with a sense of purpose and, and, and passion. I mean, that, that tends to, to create motivation. Um, and the, you know, when you're working from home, I think the key to excellent productivity is what I call productivity hacks. And there's a lot of those in the productivity chapter. These are specific habits that you can employ that kind of, you know, it's, it's, I think when most people read it, it's real obvious, which they need the most, you know, and applying these hacks so that you are able to sort of stay in that flow state, you know, and for some people, it might be exercising first thing in the morning. Um, another, uh, for others, a big one is not working for more than an hour at a time without taking a short break. Um, things of that nature. It's, it's these sort of, these hacks are kind of rules or habits that you um, consciously employ and, and they tend to have a big impact on people. So when you talk about breaking the bad habits that are holding you back, we all have those. We all could probably jot them down. Uh, it could be a short list. It could be an ongoing list. But what are the the ways, um, and this kind of fits into a, an overall theme I've had on, on, the, on the podcast around awareness is the greatest gift and the greatest curse. Because when you're aware that you're doing something, you either address it or you run right through the the, uh, the stop sign. So what would you advise for somebody that is really trying to get out of their own way? Well, I think the biggest thing is you need to understand how habits are formed. And I talk about this a lot in the book. I mean, to to kick a bad habit really takes about 60 to 90 days. And there's some stages that you go through in the process where as you're weeding out the habit, um, it's kind of like the toddler in the grocery store that wants a candy bar and the answer is no. So they throw a bigger and bigger fit until they get their way your brain kind of does a similar thing. And once it discovers that you're no longer going to indulge in that behavior, it actually kills the pathway 
in your brain responsible for that behavior. So, you know, brain, the human brain loves efficiency. It, 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 once you repeat a habit or a behavior, your brain forms a pathway to make that uh, unconscious. So when you consciously eradicate bad behavior, you physically change your brain. And that habit loop is a big one for a lot of people because it helps them to stick it out and, and, and actually not let the bad habits, you know, take over when they're halfway through the process. The next question reminds me of my time in, in grad school. And there was a, a, a dear classmate of mine that, uh, would always get very close to the 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 midnight deadline on on whatever date it was to get the paper in and his his uh, his comment was if you wait to the last minute it only takes a minute it's a horrible joke but it addresses uh, my next question around procrastination so you've talked about bad habits procrastination i think is one that many of us suffer from and many of us would like to kind of overcome that um so how do you how do you uh advise people to um, get out of that, uh, get out of that mode of thinking that it, it, Hey, if I, it, I've got, I've got more time versus starting to tackle things early and, uh, and getting those off your plate sooner. Yeah. The thing I teach in the procrastination chapter is that procrastination is, is, is driven by a negative emotional state. So people that are in a good mood do not procrastinate. It's, mm. it's just that simple. And when that negative emotional state starts to influence your, your, your behavior and in what it, it, you start procrastinating, then it, it call, it causes what I, what's called the procrastination doom loop. And that is it basically starts creating more negative emotion that feeds the loop and keeps you stuck there. So the procrastination chapter is really teaching people how to overcome this procrastination doom loop, how to understand the negative emotional state that's leading them there. And then just kind of, you know, finding a way out of it. Um, because once you start actually taking action and achieving what it is you want to achieve, you have a positive emotion that takes over. Time for just a couple more questions. Um, um, I'm really intrigued always on my own. And I, I, I think it's something that we all strive for is that that work-life balance, that true work-life balance. Um, what do you do in your personal life to make sure that there is a solid uh, connection to your both of your worlds and also you're feeding what you need to feed professionally and personally? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, exercise is, is just a huge one. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I have a, a very consuming hobby of surfing and it's something I've done my whole life. Um, and if the waves are good, I like to do it every day. So it's really structuring my time so that I have the time to do that and, and get that intense exercise. Um, but I think it also has a lot to do with my sense of purpose. And, you know, this book has a lot to do with that because, you know, for me, I'm, I've been basically retired the last few years. I sold the business that I, that I built, you know, from, from the ground up, you know, over the last 20 years. And that was something that I discovered is that I was missing that sense of purpose. I mean, I didn't even own uh, the books that I wrote anymore. So that really became a big motivator for me. You know, it wasn't just, I mean, like I said, I was sitting on all this content that I, I feel like the world needed to hear, but I also needed to have my sense of purpose. And I found that, you know, being a mouthpiece for emotional intelligence is something that satisfies something very deep inside of me. Um, so it's really great to be sort of, you know, back in the saddle with that. So, so appreciate your time um, today. Appreciate your insights. If there was one thing that you would like for our listeners to take away from our conversation, 
what would it be? That habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. Your the small things that you do every single day, they add up and they have a big influence on outcomes in your life. So when you're focusing on good productive habits, you're getting massive results. Um, you know, it works in the opposite direction when bad habits take root. So I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing. If people wanted to dig a little bit more into your world, learn more about you, obviously go pick up the book, but uh, where else would you send them? I, it would also be, you're, you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. I have a, a um, I don't know, two and a half million followers on there. And I, I, I post thoughts regularly. I write an article a week. If you look me up, Dr. Travis Bradbury on LinkedIn, you can just click follow and subscribe to my newsletter. And I'd be happy to share some of these ideas with you. The book is called Emotional Intelligence Habits, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. Dr. Travis Bradbury, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and please share it with your friends. The best way you can help us grow is feedback. So write a review if you haven't already. This podcast is brought to you by Blanchard the heart of human achievement. Visit Blanchard.com for additional resources to help you and your organization succeed. Now it's my pleasure to turn today's podcast over to Ken Blanchard for his final thoughts. When I listened to Chad's interview with Travis Bradbury about his book, Emotional Intelligence Habits, I was overwhelmed. He deals with so many habits that we have to look at if we want to live the life that we want to live. I mean, I looked at uh, procrastination, saying yes to, to too many things. If you can't find a couple of habits in listening to this interview that you need to work on, you probably lie about other things too. I also would recommend you go and read his book because the subtitle says us all, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. And I believe that's really true. And so thanks, Chad, for interviewing uh, Travis. And Travis, you're all right. I think what you're sharing and what you're teaching people is so valuable for all of us to live the life that we want to live. Thanks so much. Good on you.